It's been almost exactly one month since Hamas's surprise attack on Israel that killed 1,400 Israelis. The IDF says that as of November 3rd, there are 242 hostages in Gaza. It's also been almost a month of Israeli retaliation, air raids and ground operations in the Gaza Strip, which have killed almost 10,000 Palestinians, destroyed infrastructure, and severely limited basic necessities like food, water, medicine, and internet access. Palestinian civilians in the Gaza Strip aren't the only ones suffering from Israeli retaliation. Palestinians in the West Bank are facing rapidly escalating conditions from settler-soldier militias that include violence, harassment, property destruction, and threats of evacuation. If you're familiar with Unsettled, you may remember our previous reporting on one of the sections of the West Bank called Area C, and more specifically, the South Hebron Hills and Masafaryata. Before we share updates from the ground, we wanted to start with some context for any new listeners. And if you're feeling overwhelmed by the many terms and places mentioned throughout this episode, we encourage you to go listen to the Unsettled Essentials South Hebron Hills Masafaryata playlist that's linked in our show notes. Okay, here are some things that are helpful to know. Since the Oslo Peace Accords in 1993, the West Bank has been divided into three different sections, areas A, B, and C. Area A was given fully to the Palestinian Authority, so the PA has full civil and security control in Area A. In practice, the Israeli army still goes into Area A and still carries out security operations in Area A, but on paper it's under full Palestinian control. This is Oriel Eisner, director of on-the-ground organizing at the Center for Jewish Nonviolence, or CJNV. Area B is under Palestinian civil control and Israeli security control. And Area C, which makes up just over 60% of the West Bank, is under full Israeli civilian and security control. It's where there's a few hundred thousand Palestinians who are living um, under full Israeli control, but as West Bank residents, of course, not as Israeli citizens. Area C is is where all of the settlements are and also all of the outposts. So settlements are illegal under international law, but legal under Israeli law. have been given approval by the Knesset, are connected to uh, the full Israeli infrastructure and recognized as like any other community, neighborhood, town in Israel proper. Outposts don't have official recognition by Israel, but are often still connected to electricity and water systems, um, but are technically illegal under Israeli law. Um, So Area C is where all of those sorts of settlements and outposts are located, um, and often very close to Palestinian communities because they're set up to strategically try and annex the land or take over the land or block Palestinian communities from connecting to each other, prevent rural Palestinian areas from connecting to urban Palestinian areas. And there's a long history of uh, violence and harassment at the hands of settlers and also at the army, which uh, makes life pretty miserable in Area C. Since October 7th, the situation has escalated dramatically. According to the United Nations, at least 132 Palestinians in the West Bank have been killed since October 7th. 
This number of deaths is close to the number of Palestinians killed in the West Bank during all of 2022, 158. The settler violence and harassment has really gone completely out of control, and communities are facing daily and nightly raids by settlers. One of the major shifts is that since October 7th, led by Itamar Ben-Gvir, settlers have been given full approval, or even mandate, you can say, to act as the security forces in the West Bank. Itamar Ben-Gavir is a far-right member of the Israeli parliament, leader of the Jewish Power Party, and the Minister of National Security. So some settlers have been drafted into reserve duty and are carrying out that reserve duty in Area C. Some have been brought into the civilian security teams that, that Ben-Gavir has set up and are given military weapons and military equipment but aren't technically reserve duty soldiers. Uh, but what it means in practice is that At any given moment, you have these sort of settler-soldier militias wandering the hillsides of the West Bank and and wreaking havoc in Palestinian communities, violently harassing and beating people, ransacking homes, destroying water systems, puncturing water tanks, cutting electricity lines, um, destroying solar panels, setting houses on fire. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And all those sorts of things happened to some degree before October 7th. But like I was saying, it's just gone completely out of control. I'm in a number of different groups of activists who are in touch regularly with Palestinian communities and get updates about what's going on. And it's nonstop every single day what's happening. Oriel is part of a community of activists, some international, some Israeli, who have been working for years with Palestinians in a region of Area C known as the South Hebron Hills. Up until recently, they would accompany Palestinian shepherds while they were grazing their sheep, walk with Palestinian children on their way to school, and even stay overnight in the villages there, what Oriel calls protective presence. But after October 7th, Oriel said that attempts by activists are more dangerous because of the settler-soldier militias, and that they're evaluating the best way to support Palestinians in the West Bank amidst a rapidly developing situation. Already... Uh, just in the South Hebron Hills, where most of my time is spent and where CJNV's work is, there are five communities that have been fully expelled and another sizable handful of communities that have families that have left, some that have stayed, many, many communities that are really on the edge of um, being forced to leave for fear for their lives in an immediate sense or also just because life has been made completely unlivable. One of the villages in the South Hebron Hills is called Susia. Palestinians in Susia have faced multiple expulsions, the first in 1986. Last week, we heard from Hamdan Mohammed, an activist from Susia. Susia village, it's the, uh, the house is there, it's simple structure, and the roof of the houses is from iron roof. And there's uh, also a tent and a few caves. Before there was many caves, the people that was live inside the caves before the Israeli government came and destroyed all the caves, just stay few caves. The people there, uh, they are farmer people. Just they know uh, grazing the sheep and plant, 
the land and also they have olive trees and the grapes trees like this. I'm sleep in Susia village and it's like uh, one room and there is a kitchen and bathroom. This is my uh, house in Susia village. There have been decades of harassment, violence, and demolitions entwined with a long legal battle in Susia. In 2015, media attention grew as the threat of demolitions and forced expulsions became imminent. The European Union and the U.S. State Department spoke out against the potential destruction and evictions. As of 2019, there are approximately 300 Palestinians living in Susia, though the threat of expulsion and all structures being destroyed still looms. And in the past few weeks, they have become a target of violent threats from settler soldier militias. In the uh, uh, 16th uh, of October, the settlers with the army, they came and start to look at uh, the entrance of Susie and destroy the trees, the olive trees, and also destroyed the water well. What that's mean water well, we, we're digging on the ground and collected the water rain. So they destroyed the three uh, uh, water system. And uh, after that, after they closed everything and they cutting the connection between Susia and uh, the city, and the city for us, it's Yatta city. After they blocked and destroyed these things, uh, the settlers and uh, they start to attack the homes in the village in the dark, in the middle of the night, beating the doors, beating the windows, and uh, breaking the windows and uh, shouting. They they want to make the people scared and uh, leave their homes. They did this many times. When we heard from Hamdan, he said the most recent attack like this had been on Saturday night, October 28th. They came in the middle of the night, in the dark. They start to beating the, the doors and start to destroy the stuff of the houses. They was moved from the family to another family from the village. And uh, there is a family, they take two men from inside their house and they took them 40 meters from the house and start to beat them and start to threaten them. If they didn't leave the house, they will shooting them. They threaten all the people in Susia village. Any house, they will went there and they uh, threaten them. If they didn't uh, leave in 24 hours, they will come back and uh, kill them and destroy their houses. My kids is uh, so small, and uh, my my son he's six years old, and my daughter she's four years old, and I have a baby she's have uh, ten days old. So because of that, I send them to the city, to Yalta, my wife's parents to stay there because it's so dangerous for them, especially when. 
my wife she's born uh, my new daughter before 10 days so that's it look <clears throat> i grew up in susi village and uh, the settlers they thought they have opportunity to kick the people outside the village so i'm care about my uh, my kids but uh, for me, I can't live in, in the city. I try to, to do this, but uh, I can't. You know, I have my land, I have my work there, and also uh, it's my life, my friends, my memory. Uh, there is so difficult to, for me to leave my house and go to found another place and live there. I don't know, I can't explain what's in my heart now. It's, uh, it's so difficult for me to live uh, outside Susi. According to B'Tselem, an Israel-based human rights organization, as of November 5th, 15 Palestinian communities in Area C, in their entirety, have been forcibly displaced since October 7th. This amounts to more than 800 people who have had to leave their homes. Oriel Eisner of the Center for Jewish Nonviolence says this forcible transfer is part and parcel of an Israeli policy to push Palestinians out of Area C. Israeli policy in Area C um, historically has been to move Palestinians into more concentrated urban areas. Basically clear area C of Palestinians, move them into areas A and B, and then be able to continue the expansion of settlements in area C and, and eventually turn it fully into Israel without, with as little Palestinian presence as possible. That was done through three main systems, settlers, the army, and the Israeli civil administration. The civil administration was in charge of civilian matters, is in charge of civilian matters, building permits, connecting communities to water, electricity, um, and they systematically rejected any Palestinian requests to build or any Palestinian requests to have master plans approved, which would give them access to water and electricity. And coupled with that, regularly carried out demolitions against Palestinian communities, demolitions of homes, demolitions of solar systems, demolitions of water wells, demolitions of roads, all aimed to make life more difficult so that Palestinians would, would choose to leave on their own. The army was a part of that and supported those efforts, supported the demolitions, also would carry out arrests and night raids, intimidation tactics to get, continue making life more difficult so Palestinians choose to leave. And then you had settlers who would not only take over land, but also harass and carry out acts of violence. Again, threefold system makes life more difficult for Palestinians. Particularly in the last couple of years, with the expansion of shepherding outposts, where settlers set up an outpost, bring in a flock of sheep, and then are able to take over entire hillsides and valleys with just a few people. Because they then take their sheep, take over all of the grazing land in the area around them. And if there's any sort of issue with Palestinians, uh, they call the army and the army pushes the Palestinians out, arrests them. Um, and within, within very little time and with very little numbers, 
the settlers are able to take over huge, huge swaths of land. Unsettled documented the kind of settler harassment Oriel just described in another Palestinian village called Rishash, which is in the northern part of Area C, for a 2020 audio documentary called The Shepherd and the Settler. As of October 16, 2023, the people of Rishash have been forced to abandon their homes. So that three-part system since October 7th has essentially become one system, all run by settlers. Uh, the Israeli civil administration has not really been around in the West Bank in the last few weeks, but that hasn't stopped settlers from demolishing homes, from setting up roadblocks. And as I was saying before, settlers and soldiers are now basically interchangeable and even visually difficult to distinguish from each other when you're in the field, because they're all wearing military gear to some degree, and many of the settlers are themselves soldiers. So it's it's really just the entire system is now being run by uh, by settlers, when in the past you could say it was being guided by the acts of settlers or the settlement movement, it's really now one and the same. This is very horrific, terrible time that we are passing through. This is Tarek Havalin, a Palestinian teacher from the village of Umm al-Khair. You may remember Tarek and Umm al-Khair from our 2022 series, The Birthday Party. Umm al is surrounded on three sides by an Israeli settlement. We are uh, one of a group uh, of communities that they have been facing very brutal, violent terrorist attacks. He sent us this message on Monday, October 30th. Last night at 5.30, a military uh, vehicle with a military plate entered Um al the north side, and they stopped by Hadshaib tent, where three masked soldiers in military uniform, every one of them carrying a pistol, a rifle, and a knife, forced them to face the wall and sit on the ground, not to speak, not to look around. And they start uh, very brutally, violently terrorizing them. They were checking uh, everyone's phone for any photo message of anything related to the war and they don't speak to you uh, you know normally they hit you then they speak to you or they they point the gun to your head or maybe hit you with the forehead of the gun and uh, force you to speak or to do whatever they want one of the eldest of the first people that he uh, attacked in Hajjaib tent uh, he was trying to speak with them, arguing with them. They beat him very violently. They wrestled him to the ground and they humiliated us very badly. Then later they moved to the community center of Omal Khair and they, they broke the door. They broke it and they destroyed everything inside. The box, the devices, the, the photos hang onto the walls. They destroyed everything. One resident of Umm al-Khair told me years ago when I visited that the community center is the, quote, most important place in the village. The community center has been the target of violence before. Once they done and it was uh, 20 past six, they came uh, to my side and they, they stopped in front of Hajj Suleiman's tent. Hajj Suleiman was Tariq's uncle, a beloved elder in the community and a symbol of their resistance. In January 2022, 
He was killed by an Israeli police truck as he tried to stop them from confiscating Palestinian cars. They entered the tent. I was the first person who approached them. And they asked, where is the Mukhtar? And they, they mean by Mukhtar, the leader of the community. I said, there is no Mukhtar. He said, no, I need the Mukhtar. I told him, uh, the Mukhtar is sleeping. Then they said, no, we need uh, Eid. They asked for Eid's name. Eid, an activist and an artist, is Tarek's cousin and the son of Haj Suleiman. We had no choice but to send someone to bring Eid. Then they forced me to enter inside the tent and they spoke to me. I was speaking with them with the, you know, very bad Hebrew language that I have, very broken language. I was speaking to them and they told me to translate that everyone should sit, face the western wall of the tent and and to sit on the ground, not to move, not to speak, not to do anything. Fifteen of us were sitting in the tent, they forced us to face this wall. Then they start uh, with us one by one, checking our phones uh, and they force you to open the the password, the code for the phone, they search in your gallery, they search in in everything in your phone, your contacts, your, your chats, everything. Anything that they found is related to the war, they very brutally beat you, whether they broke your phone, take your phone, or they force you to reset the phone. They weren't coming for regular rese- uh, uh, military search inside the community or a routine uh, patrol. They came just to humiliate and to terrorize people. I felt for in some point that they, the situation was and the scene was like where militants and militias bring people to uh, execute them, to, to assassinate them, and they point their guns to their heads. I felt in some point that It will be the last second of my life and they will shoot me and also the 16, 17 at the end people that they were forced to sit and obey their orders in the community. After they put all us to face this wall, they started to uh, investigate each and every one of us and searches when they started with my cousin who's a policeman for the Palestinian Authority, and they checked inside his, they entered his gallery, they opened and they searched inside his gallery, and they found one of the the photos that he is uh, with a gun. So he pulled the trigger of his M16 and he wanted to shoot him, and he told him, hold your fire, I am working for Abu Mazen, I am a policeman. Um, He said, no, you are a terrorist, you are a liar. Told him, "Why, why, why I tell you, I swear to God that I'm a policeman. And they took him out with his phone out of the tent uh, separately. They called for a regular, let us say, a regular military patrol, even though there is no regular military. And it came uh, very shortly, and they they took control of my cousin, this policeman, and the others. They continued terrorizing people, and they came to me again, and he took out the spare of the gun, and he told me, "What you see here." I told uh, him I don't know. And he asked me actually, he said, what do you call these? I told him, I don't know, I, I am not an Arab person. 
I am a civilian. I am unarmed civilian. I never carried a gun in my life. I don't know these. He said, these are bullets. These, in, if they, they shot in your head, they will blow it into two parts. I told him, okay, so what do you want me to do? He said, explain all of the guys. Anyone speaks or even uh, move his head a bit, they, we will shoot in his head. And he put the gun in my head and he told me, do you feel the, the forehead of the gun? Then I spoke to the guys, I translated to them what happened, what he said, and they continue. One of the guys, they beat him in his kidney and it was really painful for him. He needed treatment later. Once they done uh, brutally investigating and terrorizing us and searching our phones, they, they brought Eid to with us to force him sit with us inside the tent. They say one of them, he was, it seemed that he is the boss. He was uh, walking back and forth inside the tent uh, behind us while we were sitting on the floor. And he was saying, you are motherfuckers are happy of what happened on the borders of Gaza. You like, you love the killing of people. You are happy with Hamas, what Hamas and Jihad did. You are with the killing of civilians and slaughtering children, infants, and cutting the, the, the bellies of the mothers and getting out the, the infants. You are happy with all of the violence that, that happened. You are liars. You are all Hamas. You are all terrorists. And here you are under the, the control of Israel. Here is it's Israel. There is no Palestine here. And Eid responded to, to him and said, no, no, what you are saying is not, not true. We, we are uh, against all of the violence. We are non-violent people and we are against all of kind of violence and we don't agree. Uh, and what you said is just you saying that. He said, shut up. Now you have to choose. He spoke to it. Now you have to choose. You are with us or against us. So Eid had no choice. And they told him, I am not with anyone. I am a Bedouin shepherd. I'm a very simple man. I, we are a very simple community. We want to live in peace and quietness away from any troubles. We never make problems to anyone. He said, no, 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 you are a liar. Now you have to choose. You are with, uh, with Israel or with the terrorists. Then he forced Eid to stand up and record the video. He filmed Eid while uh, he ordered Eid to, to not only condemn, to curse, to speak badly about the, uh, the, the people of Gaza and to say that we are in Israel and Israel is a good state and all of this stuff. You know, it's, it was all happened under the force of, of, of the guns. Once they, they done recording this film, they said, now you want to show the loyalty for Israel. You have all of you. Then they said, tomorrow by seven, we want to see an Israeli flag hanging on in this tent. If we don't come back tomorrow and don't see this flag, we will commit a massacre. We will shoot deadly everyone in the community. We will make you the worst life ever. Then they told him from where we get a flag, what you are saying, well, we, we carry Palestinian uh, IDs. We, we are part of the Palestinian Authority. Our IDs from there. He said, I don't give a shit about the Palestinian Authority. There is no Palestine. No, there is nothing about it. It's just only Israel. You have to put the, the flag. You can ask your neighbors, the settlers, to give you a flag and put it. 
at the very end. They after they hold us for a bit more time, another 30 minutes, sitting without saying anything, and uh, the military patrol was almost done with uh, my cousin investigating and uh, checking his situation, his security situation. They left the three. Then shortly after that, the regular military, who also kept us the same as we were before, they told this man, this my cousin, the policeman, that you should keep them staying still until we leave and we get out completely from the village. They gave him some of the phones back that they stole. They took others completely. Then uh, they left. And we, you know, at the at the end, we are speechless. I am speechless, actually, of everything happened and is happening. It's not only Omar Khair. The, almost the same thing happened uh, a night before they were in Susia. Every single village and community and town in South Urban Hills, they have been facing similar attacks by settlers, and they are taking all of the advantages from the situation now by implementing and carrying out all of their terrorism, all of their hatred, all of their violence against us. And inshallah, we will be able to, at the very end, to overcome this. And inshallah, we can at least get back to the already difficult life that we have been living. Life is unlivable. Villages are on complete lockdown. Many of them have roadblocks set up so that there's no car traveling in and out. Army settler soldiers have shoot on site orders for people who are leaving their villages on foot. Again, Oriel Eisner from the Center for Jewish Nonviolence. So life is really, really, really difficult right now. And from everyone I'm speaking to, it's it's the worst it's ever been. Like worse than during the Second Intifada, worse than other times of uptick in settler violence and army pressure. Um, so in terms of long-term impact, you know, I, I worry that a lot of the communities that were threatened before and are now on the brink won't, won't be there anymore. And once communities are gone, they almost never come back for the reasons that they left, just the fear and, and pressure, but also because settlers take over or as this happened, on a few occasions, families leave and then settlers come in with a bulldozer and demolish all of the homes and barns and there's nothing to return back to. And another fear that I've heard heard voiced from Palestinians living in Area C is that this signals a new status quo for life in Area C. That Israel has set sort of new benchmarks for what administration of Palestinian life looks like in Area C. And if that's the case, even if communities aren't cleared out in the next weeks, next months, um, life is essentially impossible and, and certainly not sustainable for, for any sort of real way in the long term. Guys, uh, this is what happened. The army around 40 to 50 soldiers just raided. Uh, uh, my house and the guest house here. Uh, they were really uh, aggressive and they had also like a dog. On Thursday night, November 2nd, Israeli soldiers raided Umel Kher again. 
We got this message from a Palestinian resident just after the army left his house. I'm really freaked out after what happened, honestly. Um, I have I have two young babies, as you uh, uh, know, so uh, I told them that the dog should not enter to the house, but they refused. And the dog was here, and it was really, really scary to them. Uh, look to also like our house from here, from this side. You see, like they broke everything, opened everything, and yeah, it was it was really a miserable situation. Here's one of one of my my children is crying. Yeah, it's it's really scary, and it was it was totally different. They didn't tell anyone anyone to to say anything or or even to move. Yeah, they 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 still in the village. A couple of us at Unsettled, myself included, have visited Area C on trips organized by the Center for Jewish Nonviolence. My memories of Um Umel Khair are of sitting inside the community center, eating delicious bread, and playing soccer with the community. I also remember the looming presence of the settlement right next door, and how we talked with the community about their concerns of being able to stay safely and with a good quality of life there in the future. It's been almost seven years since I visited the South Hebron Hills in Masafar Yata. Seven years is a long time, and that has brought weddings, births, graduations, and funerals for the communities in the South Hebron Hills, just as it has for myself and my community in New York. For Palestinians in Area C, all of those have happened with the constant threat of military occupation and settler violence. As we were producing this episode, our team continued to receive daily updates about threats of violence, new checkpoints being established, and night raids on villages in the South Hebron Hills. There have also been a number of instances documented in the villages of Masafar Yata in the South Hebron Hills, including arson and spy, and damage to pipes that brought water to multiple villages, including Tuba. You'll find our previous reporting on the South Hebron Hills and Masafar Yata, as well as Instagram accounts to follow for the most up-to-date news on the region, in our show notes. In this moment of fear, grief, and uncertainty, we want to offer you the opportunity to tell your story. Whether you want to talk about a loved one you've lost, your fears about what will happen next, or your anger at those in power, call us and leave a voicemail at 347 878 1359, and we'll include some of your messages as we report on the impact of these events. Again, that's 347-878-1359. Unsettled is produced by Max Friedman, Alana Levinson, and me, Emily Bell, with support from Asaf Calderon. Music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. For more from Unsettled, follow us on Instagram at unsettled underscore pod. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the next episode.